Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke, 23rd chapter of Luke. We're going to pick up right after the death of Christ and we're going to move into the resurrection. And I hope you realize that Easter is not a celebration of Christianity. And Easter is not a celebration of Jesus' life. And Easter is not a celebration of Jesus' teachings or His miracles. Easter is a celebration of a very specific event in history. Just like the 4th of July is the celebration of a very specific event in history. Now, I know that the 4th of July has turned into something more than that, right? I mean, now it's turned into everything America, celebrating everything about America. It's turned into the red, white, and blue day. It's turned into fireworks and picnics and hot dogs and hamburgers. But the truth is, you can go the entire day of the 4th of July and never once think about the Declaration of Independence upon which we celebrate that day. Easter is the same way. Now, we have tried to make it into something more than what it is. Now, that's saying a lot. I don't mean that in the significance of it. But it's easy to get lost up in the bunnies and the eggs and the flowers and the hats and the bonnets and the suits and the dresses and the sails and the ham. Some of you are already tasting at the moment. It's hard sometimes in the midst of that, to clarify back down to what Easter is really all about. And Easter is about one event on one day that forever changed eternity. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about hope, and there's a verse in Psalm 33 we've been talking about. It just says, May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And the thing that I know about hope is that hope is only as good as whatever you put your hope in. There are some of you in this room, in fact, I would dare say all of us at some time have put our hopes in things that did not come to be. All of us in this room have put our hope into someone that failed us. Some of you in this room have put your hope in a retirement nest egg that now is not there. It's like you've gone shopping in the grocery section and used to have the jumbo eggs and now you're buying the medium nest egg. It's gone. And the truth is, if this one event had not happened, if this one moment we celebrate today, if the risen Christ had not walked out of that grave, then everything else we put our hope in would fail. And so you say... What does the resurrection have to say to us this morning about hope? The simple answer is, it says everything. Because it changes literally everything. That's what I want to do this morning. I just want to walk through the story. Now, as we walk through the story, we're going to pick up some some ideas for us to look at, to grasp onto. But I just want us to walk through the story this morning of that life-altering day. Chapter 23 of the book of Luke, verse 50. It says, Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, 
who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. It's an amazing man here, this Joseph. We don't know tons about him in Scripture, but we found out late, we find out that he's a wealthy man because he's got a tomb in which Jesus will be buried that only a wealthy person would have. We find out he's a member of the council, and we find out in other places he was a secret follower of Jesus. This is what I find interesting about Joseph of Arimathea as he's come to be known. Is when he was following Jesus, he was scared of what would happen to him if it was revealed he was a follower of Jesus. And yet now, with Jesus off the scene, and at the moment perhaps when it is the most dangerous to be a follower of Jesus, he comes forward. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. He took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Here's the picture. We talked last week about the crucifixion, even if you weren't here last week. You have seen pictures of the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. When Jesus would have died late in the afternoon on Friday, they were in a race, literally, to get his body off of the cross, to get it prepared and put in the tomb, because as soon as the sun went down, all work had to cease for at least a day. And so literally there was a race to get his body down, to get it into where it needed to be, to get it ready so that when the day ended, they were done. Now the truth is, most people that were crucified were criminals and nobody wanted their body. Oftentimes their bodies were just let to lay on the ground or were taken outside and put in a kind of a burial ground, the fortunate ones, that was for criminals and outcasts. But Jesus has his body taken down. Now, here's the tension that rises. His body wasn't prepared like it was supposed to be prepared. It's amazing how God works circumstances out even in the death of his own son. Because, you see, if they would have prepared his body like they were supposed to prepare it, if they would have had time to do that, then there would have been no need for anybody to go back to the tomb on Sunday morning. But here's what happens, and it's a good case study of the difference between men and women. The guys get the body, they take it, they just wrap it in some cloth, they take it, and they put it in the tomb. But it says in verse 55, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Now, in their tradition, what they did is they would take the body first and put spices and put some oil on it. Then they would wrap it up very tightly, and then they would put it in the tomb and seal the tomb. These ladies realized that it had not been done the way it ought to be done. How do we know that? Because it tells us in verse 56, they go home as soon as they can to try to finish up their work before the Sabbath comes. Now, we don't have the concept of what it means that at a certain hour, all work ceases. Now, some of you grew up in towns and areas where Sundays were days when all businesses were closed. I was on the tail end of that growing up, but we live in a 24-7 society where things are open all the time. Things are happening all the time. People are up at all times of the night. People are working at all hours of the night. It's just our kind of society. But in their society, once that sun went down on Friday, nothing happened for a day. And so that sets the scene. Because these women get the spices together, and then I want you to think about it. They wait from sundown on Friday all the way to sundown on Saturday 
And you remember, they didn't have street lights or anything to light their way, so they weren't going to leave at night. They waited another 12 hours or so. And it tells us in chapter 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. Now, the original seems to imply that almost they were waiting for the sun to come up. Some of you in this room are morning people. Some of you are not. For some of you in this room, you know exactly what that kind of dime a day looks like. Some of you haven't seen that in years. But it was right as the sun was coming up. One of, my, one of the things that I do on Sunday mornings is I get here fairly early. And I couldn't help but think of this morning as I got out in my car and started to drive and literally saw the first sun rays break through. I couldn't help but think about what those women were thinking on that morning. And you know, sometimes I think we over-dramatize or over-emphasize what they were thinking. You know what I were think, think they were thinking? Let's go get this done. This was the guy they had followed, they had loved, they had listened to every word. And for all they knew, he was in that tomb and would never be heard from again. And they were ready to move on. I mean, they gather their spices, they start going to the tomb. What did you think they were going to do that day? What did they think they were going to do that day? They were going to prepare the body. Verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now that had to be the first thing that concerned them. You've seen pictures of the tomb. It was inside of a cave, inside of a dwelling. They had this huge stone, looked like a huge wagon wheel or huge wheel that they would roll. They would have it kind of in, in an indentation in the ground, and they would have it wedged there, and somebody would pull the wedge out, and the stone was too heavy for anybody to move, would roll into place right in front of the in grave. They would seal it shut, and then they would know that nobody else could move it. It tells us that the ladies came, and the stone was rolled away. Now, I know that all the pictures, and in my mind, what I imagined was that that stone was just kind of rolled back up the hill a little bit. But the original language, the original Greek, seems to suggest that the stone wasn't there anymore. It had been rolled away. All right? There's a difference in the stone being kind of here. And the picture given in the, in the New Testament literally is like someone thrust it rolling in over in over in into the forest somewhere. It was away. And so they come and they think, what in the world happened to the stone? Not like, oh, somebody moved the stone a little bit. And they walk in. And they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Now, I know in a lot of pictures you've seen, you've seen an angel standing there, and there's a little glow around them, right? Right? A little glow around them. Like a little halo, maybe. How many of you ever seen lightning? Is there a little glow around it? Anybody ever like just stand in an open field and say, ooh, I'd like to just watch that lightning? I know we had some major storms here uh, a couple of days ago. 
And we need to continue to pray for those families in Murfreesboro and that area that were greatly affected, for churches that even today are ministering to people in the midst of that. Some storms even in northern Sumner County. I was in West Tennessee in Jackson, and we, unaware that those type of storms might even be coming to Jackson, which there were some watches and warnings out, decided we'd get in a round of golf on Friday. When I go to Susan's families, her dad and brother always want to play golf, and I just happened to remember my clubs, and so we went out to play. And about the fourth hole, I was getting ready to tee off with the golf club in my hand when I saw a streak of lightning come down. I want to tell you, I was not thinking, ooh, that's kind of a nice feeling there. These men, as most angels in Scripture, were frightening. The glow around them was like lightning. And they, it says in fright, remember, anytime anybody in the New Testament sees an angel, what happens? They get scared. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, one of the greatest questions asked in all of history, why do you look for the living among the dead? He didn't give the time the women to answer, or the women that time to answer, but you can imagine the women in their heads are thinking, because he's dead. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Verse 8. Then they remembered his words. The first thing that the resurrection, the first hope that we get from the resurrection is that we can have hope in the midst of our confusion. We can have hope in the midst of our confusion. Notice these ladies. It says in verse 4, they were wondering about this. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't have any clue what was happening. It literally gives this idea that they walk in, the body's missing, and they're sitting there scratching their heads going, now what do we do now? Where did it go? Who took it? How do we find out where it's gone? What can we do about this? And you look at it, and they're confused. But then they meet these guys, and the guys tell them about Jesus, and he says, don't you remember? We're going to do a little recap here. Remember Jesus talking to you, and he said this, and he said that. Don't you remember? And it says that they finally remembered his words. This is what the resurrection can mean for your life is that you can have hope and clarity in times of confusion. You know, we all have those times in our lives. We all have those times in our lives when we don't know what tomorrow brings, when we're not sure about the decisions we're making, when we don't know about our family, we don't know about our finances, when confusion seems to reign. And what the resurrection provides is that for all eternity, we have a Savior who wants to clear up our confusion. Now, that doesn't mean He doesn't let us wonder a little bit. Have you ever thought about the fact that there weren't the angels meeting the women before they went in? You see, if I had done this, I would have wanted a big announcement. Angels flying in the sky. Then the women come up and they're there announcing it before they ever get to the tomb. Don't even go inside. No need to go inside. But did you notice that they walk in? Sometimes God lets us walk in the midst of circumstances and ask those difficult questions and wonder about what's happening. But He will still be there to answer our deepest confusion. I think an interesting part of this is they already knew the answer. They just forgot. 
right? What did the angels tell him? Does he tell me anything new? He says, listen, he's not here. Don't, don't you remember what he said? And I'm sure they started looking at each other and go, Does he, do you know what he's talking about? What's he talking about here? And he starts to relay this stuff. And they go, oh, yeah, I do remember that. It always seems in our house something is missing. The two boys that like to play, something is always missing. Anybody ever been there? Some of you don't have boys to blame it on, all right? It's just you and your spouse and things go missing all the time. Well, where's the remote? I don't know. It's amazing to me how many people don't have a clue where it is. One time, you know, not one time, oftentimes what we'll do is we'll search and search and search and search and we'll finally find whatever we're looking for and it'll be one of the boys and they'll go, oh yeah, I forgot I put it there. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever done that yourself? Put something somewhere so you won't forget where it is and then you forget where it is, right? These people had forgotten what Christ had said. And what we have to remember in our lives is oftentimes the confusion that reigns in our lives reigns because we have forgotten what God has already told us. We have forgotten what God has already told us. The best way that I can tell you to find out what God's already told you is to put yourself into this book, into the Bible, into the Word of God, and ask the question, what is God promising to me? After the first service today, I was talking out in the hall with somebody, and they are talking about the very difficult year that they've had and how that this very difficult year had also been one of the best years because it had taught them again and again to lean on the promises of God, to remember what He's already told us. You know, in Scripture it says, in this world you will have trouble. And all of God's people said, Amen. We all got problems. We've all had them, some big, some small, but we've all got them. He says, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. You see, the truth is, the answer to any problem we have is to trust in the one who has already conquered the world. For those of us that are lonely or can't seem to find our place in the world, we can take heart in the fact that Jesus says, I am with you to the ends of the earth. He tells his disciples right before he leaves, he says, quit being troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when I'm done, I'm going to come back and take you with me. You know, the song we sang, Oh, Happy Day, the first verse talks about the day when Jesus gave his life. The second verse talks about that day when we shall see him face to face. Trust in those promises. Remember those promises. When confusion comes, Remember what he's already told you. Verse 9. I love how understated the Bible is here. When they came back from the tomb. Now, <laughs> I just get this picture of the angels leaving, them going, where are we going? We've got to go tell everybody. Well, let's go. They take off running. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. Now, the eleven and all the others are probably having a strategy meeting. Right? They've been following a certain person for the last three and a half years. They get to a place. They don't know who to follow anymore. They don't know where to go. They don't know what they're supposed to do. And so as they're sitting around there thinking about it, they're having this discussion. The women bust in. It tells us who the women are. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others who were with them told this to the apostles. 
Now, one of the things I love about the Scripture is that it's not a glorified version of the events. It's a real version of the events. There are no heroes in this story. Nobody was waiting for Jesus to be resurrected. What we have in this story are people with real emotions reacting the way we would react. There are no super-Christians, oversimplified things. It is a complex book. Verse 11. So the women come back and they tell them, this is what happened. And verse 11 says, and the men believed them immediately and went to see where Jesus had been. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? It says, they did not believe the women. Now, don't you think if they were wanting to write a glorified version of this, I mean, the apostles are the one that gave this story. Don't you think a little later they go, just take that verse out. There is no need for everybody to know we didn't believe it the first time, all right? Because their words seem to them like nonsense. Nonsense. One of the things that the resurrection teaches us is that there is hope, not only in our confusion, but even in our doubts. Now I was thinking this morning, even after the first service, I was thinking about this passage of Scripture and just playing it in my mind again. And I wonder what the conversation was like among the twelve and the others in those two days since Jesus had been crucified. I mean, did they sit around and talk about all the great memories? Did they ask questions about where they're going? I don't know what they talked about. But I can tell you one thing they didn't talk about. I don't think anybody said, hey, do you remember how he talked about that he was going to be killed and then come back to life? Does anybody remember that? Hey, John, do you... Didn't Jesus one time, you remember one time we were around the lake, didn't Jesus one time say that he was going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days? And we said, oh, you can't do that. And he says, it's not really the temple I'm talking about. I wonder what he's talking about. You know why I know none of that discussion was happening? Is because when the women come back and tell them the thing they should have known was going to happen, they all dismiss it immediately because they couldn't wrap their head around trust. Basically, these guys had come to the point where they said, listen, We believed in Jesus, we believed in his message, we thought he was the one, and we were wrong. We're not opening ourselves up to believe anything again. It's going to have to be shown to me before I'll believe it. Some of you in this room have real doubts about the Christian faith. Maybe you've never voiced them, maybe you've always gone to church, but there's something in you that has real doubts doubt about what's happening you know what i love about this passage of scripture is jesus easily and would have been with every right to say listen guys i sent the women you didn't believe me i'm going to find somebody else who will but it tells us at the end of the book of luke and in other accounts that what actually happens is that jesus decides that they're not going to believe unless they see for themselves and so what does he do he shows up right That's kind of a grand entrance. He kind of walks through the wall maybe, but he shows up. It says that while they are still talking, they turn around and there he is. Well, at least all of them but one, right? Thomas somehow found a way to not be there. And when he gets back, they tell him, he goes, listen, I don't know what y'all are on. I don't know what you've been drinking. I don't know what's going on here, but that ain't happening. Until I touch the wounds with my own hands, I'm not believing it. Now, we like to give Thomas a hard time, but the other disciples were the exact same way, right? Thomas shows up, uh, uh, Jesus is there, shows up for Thomas, and Thomas believes. 
Here's what I get out of that. If you're here today and you've got real doubts about Christ, maybe you've never accepted Him as your Lord and Savior and you've got doubts about that, let me say, just ask God to show Himself. Say, God, for the next 30 days, I'm going to seek you with everything I am, and I'm asking you to show yourself to me. I've told some of you the story before of a friend of mine who uh, I was talking to about faith in Christ, and he was in another faith, and he kept telling me he really wanted to believe. He just had some doubts. And I said, well, let me just ask you and advise you, for the next 30 days, I want you to give God a chance and say, I want to believe. And so... He looked at me and he said, Pastor, I'd love to do that, but I've already done it and it didn't work. I said, you've already done it? What happened? Tell me about it. He said, well, I was actually at a passion play outside. It was a clear, sunny day. We were watching the performance and I was moved by what was happening on the stage. And I said, if you're real, God, give me a sign. Give me a sign in the next 30 minutes. I said, well, that's not quite 30 days. He said, I know, but it was 30 minutes. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, there was this little lightning strike on a bright, clear, sunny day that just happened right after I said that. And I said, and that wasn't enough for you? He goes, well, it wasn't close enough for me. I said, well, then I think you got your answer. You just chose not to trust it. If you're here today, let me just tell you. I'll tell you that story to tell you this. If you will see God with all your heart, I think he will reveal himself to you. Let me speak to you if you're a Christian here today. There are times of real doubt even in a Christian's faith. If anybody has ever told you that if you're a Christian, you can never doubt, they have lied to you. Let me tell you, even as a pastor, even at moments, you know, it's much fewer now than it was when I was young. It's much fewer now than it was even 10 years ago. There are those moments in the quiet of my own heart, in the quiet of my own life. I see everybody else living however they want to live. I see everything else going on in the world. And just Satan whispers in my ear, how do you know it's true? Scripture teaches me here that even in my doubt, there's hope. He doesn't give up on me because I doubt once. I know that time and time and time again, He has shown me that He is real. Verse 12 is the last thing this morning. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. I'm going to just tell you, From everything I know about Peter, I think the last 48 hours for Peter have been the most difficult 48 hours anybody could ever imagine. You see, this is what Peter teaches us here, is that there's hope even when we blow it big time. Peter blew it, didn't he? This means yes. Peter blew it, didn't he? He did. You remember on the Lord's Supper? They're sitting around the table, and Jesus says, I'm about to be handed. Peter says, I'm not going to let that happen. You're not going to die, Jesus. If I have to die for you, I will die for you. That's not going to happen. So Peter gets confronted. He pulls out a sword. He starts off good. He slops off a guy's ear. Jesus picks the ear up, put it back on the guy's head. 
They go on. Jesus gets arrested. So now Peter has his opportunity to go and defend Jesus and say, you've got the wrong guy. And so what does he do? He cowers in the corners trying to secretly watch the proceedings. And when people confront him, he says, I don't know him. And I can imagine over those last 36 hours, as Jesus had been crucified on that cross, Peter, when he laid his head down to try to get some rest, all that came in his mind as those eyes closed were those images of the rooster crowing, those images of Jesus looking at him, the images of the little girl that he yelled at because she accused him of being with Jesus, the images that he could hear of Jesus on the cross. He couldn't even bear to go look at it, but he knew what crucifixion looked like. And even when he buried his head trying to get it to the point where he could go to sleep, he didn't want to close his eyes because the scenes of the days before were going to go over and over over and over in his head, and he was looking for hope somewhere. One of my favorite verses in Scripture tells us in another account that when the angels told the women to go back and tell the others, they add a word there in one particular gospel. And it's the gospel that most people agree that Peter helped the guy write. And in that little part it says, go back and tell the others and Peter, as if all of heaven was looking over the banister saying, go get Peter. He messed up. He blew it, but it's not over. Bring him back. Let him be here. Scripture says that Peter, of all the rest of them, that had every opportunity to find out what was going on, Peter was waiting for redemption, waiting for something to happen, waiting for something good to come of this. And in the midst of that, he hears the words that Jesus is alive, and he takes off towards the tomb. Now, I don't know where you are. But I can guess and guarantee in this room, this size, that there are some of you in this room that have blown it big time. Big time. And right now, you are looking for some hope. Let me tell you that outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. But because of what He has done and because of His resurrection, we all have hope. That is a happy day. But here's the end of it. We have to be willing to receive that hope. We've got to be willing to accept that hope. You know, what happened that day at the tomb wouldn't have been any good if people hadn't been willing to listen to the message. Jesus had bought our price. He, I mean, he paid our price on Calvary. He had died, been buried, was risen again. But then he lays the option at our feet. Peter runs to the tomb. He sees that it's there. Later he would see the risen Christ. Later he would be re instated by the risen Christ. And when it comes to Acts chapter 2, and it's time for somebody to get up and explain why in the world all these people are talking in different languages, why in the world they're screaming so loudly that they're disturbing everybody else, why in the world it looks like these men up on this platform in the upper room are drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning, the person that they push to the forefront is Peter. And Peter gets up and he says, it is because of Jesus whom you crucified that is now alive. What I love about that passage of Scripture is they were in the city of Jerusalem. If somebody wanted to go, hey, y'all, Peter's nuts. 
Let's go see the grave. We know where Jesus is. Let's go find him. But it says in there that his message was so powerful and that people responded. Here's the reason. Because it's true. And that day, 3,000 accepted Christ. The truth is, if you're here today and you've accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if you've received that hope, then you have a testimony to tell about Easter.